some kids explore gender and find who they are pretty quickly. And other people have gender journeys that can last a lifetime. But you can't make anyone trans any more than you can make someone not be trans. Best case, you can plant the idea in a kid's head that social constructs should be questioned and explored, that you can have time to play and wonder about yourself and figure out how you like to express yourself, too. Hey, Camp Wildheart, it's been a minute. I'm so excited to be back with you. Thanks to everyone for hanging in with us. Today, we're going back to the start. It occurred to me that I didn't actually do a Gender 101 for you all, and I'm still not going to do that. But today we're talking about how we even talk to kids about gender and bodies and why it's important. You're listening to Camp Wildheart, your guide for raising a transgender child and nurturing an affirming family. I'm your host, Mackenzie Dunham. When I was a kid, we didn't really talk about gender in any particular way. We didn't really talk about bodies either, other than what was wrong with them. I have a pretty clear memory of me as a kindergartner. At least I think I was in kindergarten. And I said to my mom, I cannot wait until I grow up and I have extra skin like you have. And she very quickly told me that that is not something that I should want or that anybody wants for that matter. And that really stuck with me. As I grew up, I continued to hear my mom talk about her body and what was wrong with it particularly in size. We never talked about gender, other than for her to tell me all the ways in which I wasn't safe as a girl. My brothers got to do things independently because they were boys. My mother took me to a self-defense class when I was in the third grade because girls needed to know how to defend themselves. I was given Barbies, my brothers were given G.I. Joes. My hair was long, my brothers were short. My brothers helped out with stacking chairs and doing tech at church. I volunteered in the nursery. We didn't talk about gender. But it was everywhere and clear what the roles were. I wanted to do things differently for my kids. I wanted them to have an inclusive upbringing and understand that their bodies were theirs and that they were wonderful, powerful, and the wisest part of them. I wanted them to know that their gender and biological sex were different and that there were all these invisible pressures and rules for them, but that they didn't need to follow any of them other than laws because I definitely feel strongly about that. I was delighted when my son was five and was totally confused about where my penis was because he thought we were the same. And when he told his dad, did you know mom doesn't have a penis? His dad said, yeah, she's a girl. And my son said, dad, having a penis doesn't mean you're not a girl or non-binary. And I was absolutely elated when my son saw my sister's stretch marks and first words out of his mouth were, whoa, stripes, those are awesome. How do I get those? When my kids were little, I worked for an agency that had me supervising LGBTQ support programs and early learning programs. Welcome to nonprofits. You wear so many hats. In early learning, whenever we teach kids social lessons, we turn to literature. And there was a shocking lack of children's literature that was inclusive and body positive. I stumbled my way through by trying to explain gender and bodies to my kids because I didn't really have a good resource to turn to when they were young. I think I did okay. But I would have loved something more than It's Not the Stork. This is why I'm so excited today to talk to Rachel Simon. Rachel is a licensed clinical social worker and a psychotherapist who offers therapy, gender and sexuality education, consulting to youth, parents, families, educational faculty, professional organizations, and health professionals. 
She received both her master's degrees from Widener University and received a BA in psychology and LGBT studies from the University of Maryland. Rachel has provided training and consultation on gender, sex, and LGBTQ issues for groups in the United States and abroad. She currently runs her private psychotherapy practice in Philadelphia, specializing in queer and transgender youth and young adults. Rachel is the author of the sexuality education book for children, The Everybody Book, the LGBTQ plus inclusive guide for kids about sex, gender, bodies, and families. This book is fantastic. I have copies of it in my office, in my home, and I think it is just as powerful a tool to talk to kids as it is to talk to adults. Welcome to Camp Wildheart. Thank you so much for joining me and all of our listeners. I'm so excited to have you. We're going to talk about littles today, which is really exciting. I get tons and tons of questions about littles, both little kiddos who are gender expansive as well as how do we talk to just little kids in general about gender? I love it. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I'm so excited. So Rachel, you wrote this really super awesome book, The Everybody Book. And I heard about it from um, a client, actually, and was so, so, so excited. I got it. I've been reading it in my office. I've got like a copy at home with my kids. Like I reference it all the time to everybody. And I think I've even given gifts to my staff of being like, here, here's this really great book that you need to have in your office. Oh, here, we're going to have one in the lobby. So I really just really super love it. Could you tell those who have not yet been privileged enough to have their own copy uh, just about your book and why it exists? Absolutely. I'm, I have to say, I'm just so glad it has found a space in your office and in your house and in your family. That's exactly uh, why I felt like it needed to exist. Uh, So the Everybody book is a resource for kids, families, healthcare providers, and educators that offers some comprehensive and inclusive sexuality and puberty education. And it's written for kids ages 7 to 12 with them in mind. But I think pieces can be applicable to youth a little younger and a little older, depending on their curiosity and previous knowledge. So in my practice, I specialize in queer, trans, and gender expansive youth. And I kept hearing from parents that they had so many questions. They wanted to know how to have these conversations with their kids about puberty, about sex, about bodies, and of course so many more things. But obviously, they need to flip these well-worn scripts and weren't really sure where to start since almost every resource out there is about your boy body and your boy penis and your boy puberty with your boy colors. Um, So I kept running into that wall where there's just a perpetual lack of resources that are inclusive and applicable. And I really wanted to create a resource for those kids and their families that deserve books and don't need to be edited by their parents to even be relatable. Yeah, that'd be great. I mean, the book is great. To have like a million resources like it would be great. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I want a million more. Yeah, my kids are just like all about it. They're all in there and they're like, oh, and they're just asking all these questions and they, they love that they know about their own bodies as well as other people's bodies and they can ask questions and there's a language to it now that um, I mean, my kids have always had a little bit more language, I think, than probably most <laughs> kids. Uh, ideal, ideal situation. <laughs> yeah. But they're, uh, even that, even like, even though, you know, they've been 
raised to have a really comprehensive language about their body and about gender and um, pronouns that this is still something that they were like, oh, this is so cool. So yeah, I really truly wish it was not so unique. (laughs) I know. I know. Wouldn't it be so great? It makes things so much easier. And the coolest thing about it, you know, reading it to kids who haven't been raised that way, it's Mm -hmm, still mm -hmm. a really powerful way to show them representation of, of themselves. Um, I think one of the things that I run into a lot with families is there was just this big concern that they're going to do some sort of harm by telling their kids things and these, they're not going to get it. These kids are going to be so confused and the kids are like, Oh, this makes so much more sense now. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I, I think that you're right on just with taking the mystery out of sexuality. Education can also take away so much of the confusion, so much of the Mm -hmm. shame that Mm -hmm. I don't think leads to healthy sexualities and growing people at all. Um, Especially just mystery and shame about our own bodies or around other people's bodies that you might encounter one day in a sexual context. And oh my gosh, more information is so much better to allow kids the space to have ideas and have their own values and be confident enough to say what they want and what is okay with them. Mm-hmm. It's wild that idea that kids would have that sort of agency. <laughs> right. And the idea that if you grow up in a family where, you know, all of the kids are kids with penises that like you wouldn't know how a tampon worked and you couldn't possibly right. know anything about menstruation. Like that's like what? What? <laughs> what? <laughs> How could you? Like, there's so many pieces there about just like life, right? That are missing. You get totally, totally, and that's yeah. what we miss when we separate kids by biological sex in in elementary school sex education. Nobody learns about bodies that are different than theirs, and you know, categorically, statistically, many of them will encounter somebody else's body that is not like theirs, and they don't yeah. know anything about them. You're right. That shame piece is so big, and like you know, we live in. Um, opposite sides of the country, but we still live in the same country, um, which is very much values purity. And, mm-hmm. um, and that's, so talking about anything sexual is often just seen as really negative. Right, right. Yeah. And even just the idea that like knowing about how somebody else's body and their body processes work is, is somehow, you know, dangerous in a sexual way is, right. oh, it's right. so disappointing. And it's so, um, yeah, it's really alarming. Right. And like, if you think about it, bodies are just really cool. <laughs> I mean, right? you like, and I are this, on the same page about that. <laughs> all the stuff that they can do and like how amazing and just the science of, of how they work. Like they really are like magical. And yeah. so we're really like selling kids short by not letting them know or totally help them understand really the whole picture. Yeah, there are some things that, you know, mystery makes them more fun, but body processes, I just don't think that that engenders anything healthy in our youth. (laughs) I feel that. So one of the, I think we sort of already touched on this, but as parents, often I hear from families that they don't know how to talk to their young kids, right, about gender, about their, if they've got an older sibling that's transitioning. And I hear very frequently, as I'm sure you do too, like, well, my, my younger siblings don't know. Um, my parents aren't using the right pronouns because they don't want to confuse my younger brother or my younger sister. And parents, from what I can figure out, at least 
it seems like they just genuinely don't know how to have that conversation and are really trying to navigate that in a way that is going to be the healthiest. I don't think anybody's trying to do harm that way. It's just, I think, a misstep along their journey. Yeah. So how do you encourage parents to have that conversation, particularly with younger siblings? For super young kids, I like to have a pretty simple conversation about the differences between biological sex and gender as a baseline, uh, along with a discussion about how when we see people's bodies, we sometimes assume we know their gender, but we don't. Mm -hmm. And the important thing here is that our sibling learned something new about themselves and shared it with us and how great it is to be able to find out something about who we are, name it and share it in places where the people around can make us feel good by treating us the right way. Mm hmm. Oh, I love that. I mean, I think <laughs> I, I do too, because I think sometimes with progressive, well-intentioned parents, there can almost be this tendency to over-answer, over-educate beyond what the actual question or curiosity or necessity is uh-huh. that a kiddo is asking. And I fall into that trap all of the time. Me too. <laughs> but Right? But often it can be so useful to just zero in on what they're wondering about specifically, what they've heard about that question and offer pretty specific information that doesn't get bogged down by um, this one conversation with way too much information. Yeah. So getting really clear about what the kiddo is asking about is what I'm hearing you say. Definitely. So if there's an older sibling transitioning and they want to understand, you know, like, how can my sibling who has a penis be a girl? Like, that's a specific question. You don't actually have to get into the like, full nuances of exploding like gender expansiveness and like really deconstructing the social construct of gender like you can actually just answer that question and have Mm -hmm. it be more clarifying and more useful um, depending on where they are just because i know some parents really love to have a script to follow how Mm -hmm. would you answer that question (laughs) I mean, I think the way that I would answer that question is with another question, like, what do you know about what makes a boy and what makes a girl? And pretty much have a conversation, like I said, about like, what is the difference between biological sex and gender? And sometimes when we, um, when there's a baby that has a penis, we assume that baby is going to be a boy because lots of them are, but some aren't. And our sibling just told us that, you know, she's actually a girl on the on the inside and the outside. I mean, we we just, we know now that our sibling knows this about their gender and, you know, having a sister is really awesome and it's going to be an adjustment. But, you know, what do we know about what makes a girl? And if, if they can sort of respond, well, you know, you're a girl on the inside, in your head, in your heart, in your soul. I mean, any way you kind of choose to describe gender to your right. <laughs> tiny human. I mean, we just want to sort of correct the assumption that a body makes a girl. And yeah, I, I would just say like focus uh, on, you know, anybody with any body part can find this out about their gender and how cool it is that our sibling feels good enough to ask us to come along this ride with them. Yeah. And I think that's a really similar way to that. I, t- I tend to tell parents to go about it too. And which is, I think the same sort of flavor that I, invite them or encourage them to use when they're telling extended family, right? Like sure. this is a really cool and exciting thing. Oh, I love um, framing it in that way because it's inviting yeah. the positive. It's inviting like, 
hey, isn't it amazing that you get to be such a good ally and accomplice mm-hmm. and advocate? And it like it makes them seem really messed up if they don't. And right. it sort of invites them into, we're welcoming you into this so that you can be really positive with us. And I also think it really sets the stage for like, you know, like when somebody, t- you know, when someone tells you they're pregnant and you're like, Oh, <laughs> <laughs> like what how do we feel do? about this yeah. before I like is this congratulations or like oh um yeah. and so I think that this is the same sort of sort of scenario right like anybody time anytime somebody tells you something that's life altering right, um right. right to be able to f- bring that news into the conversation with joy and to let them know right out the gate like we're on board with this and we're so excited and uh we're so honored that that our child trusts us enough to be able to to tell us these things and we're so excited to share with you like who they are authentically and um i think that in a, a version of that for siblings is also a really, really amazing gift to give to everybody, right? Like it becomes totally. this really cool thing. It's like my sibling is so cool. Right. Um, yeah. I think it just opens the door for great conversations and so much love, which I'm all about. Yeah. I love, I love starting with love and starting with joy. I think yeah. that can be really powerful. Yeah. So when kiddos are, I'm going to switch this back into more of like the boring stuff. It's not boring to me at all. I'm just, just saying. Like, <laughs> it's like it's less feelies, I guess. But um, I often hear from parents like, so there's someone in our office right now who is pregnant and um, she's asking tons of questions about like how to raise like a child in this world of gender. And one of the questions she has is like, do you do this right out of the womb? Like, how do you like navigate gender expansiveness for kids? Like, when do you start talking about it? How do you talk about it? What does all this look like? So I just wonder for you, like um, in your practice and what you know, how and when and would you encourage parents to just introduce the concept of gender expansiveness? Oh my gosh, can I say all of the ages? I think (laughs) you can. (laughs) And I do. I I think (laughs) As we were just talking about, I think we can meet kids developmentally where they are even super early. Uh, young kids do really well with repetitive and simple, and they can get the basics that some people have bodies like them, and some bodies like them are boys, some are girls, some are both, and some are neither. Mm-hmm. And then there are opportunities to introduce more nuance as they grow up and build capacity for that kind of gender deconstruction. But we can really introduce expansiveness for all kids in terms of play, in terms of expression, in terms of offering a limitless world of interests and colors and toys and roles and families, right? Because they're going to be offered the stifling alternative in many other places. Totally. But I find myself firmly in the camp that inclusive, neutral, and body-first language is actually beneficial for all kids. Obviously, in the case of being affirming to queer and gender expansive youth, it can be literally life-saving, but also it's hugely impactful for kids who find that they are cisgender and straight as well, because it creates more empathic and thoughtful humans. Yeah. And I think when I reflect on this with the violence and oppression targeting trans folks of color specifically, my hope is that we can start fighting that othering and and transphobia and racism as young as possible by yeah. removing the assumption that cis het white kids are the norm and don't have to explore themselves or think about their own identities 
or that everyone else has the responsibility of doing that as minorities. Yeah. And obviously, I don't mean to be reductive, and there are about a million macro things that need to happen to (laughs) unravel the systems of white supremacy and transphobia in this country and the world. (laughs) Yeah. But with that said, on an individual, familial, communal level, I think there are ways to be really intentional about raising thoughtful, empathic, self-reflective, and confident humans that think about identity and people, um, regardless of whether they're the same as them or different. Yeah, I love that. And um, that's something that I've also practiced and talk about a lot is this idea of like, when we think about, I hear people say gender diversity, I'm like, diverse from what? Right, right, right. right. Yeah, when diversity just means everybody else, that's not, <laughs> you know, is that like a male? It's just, it's really not what you're what you think you're saying. <laughs> No, it's not. And I mean, but then when you sort of pause and you go, oh, gross, that is what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. Um, Right. That's an important reflection. And I think that that's something that every person should be invited to reflect on. Totally. Like it's such a gift for kids when they get to explore their gender, even if they land and yeah, I'm cisgender. Like it's still a gift to like explore that. Right. Yeah. And I think when you're treated as the default, you lose, you lose so much, you lose out on such um, a great opportunity for Mm self-exploration and I think it can really be a great re-emergence of self to kind of have to think about these things and not just as compared to other people who are not like you but just for your own well-being and self-knowledge. Yeah and I think that a really great example of that that doesn't just exist within like the transgender umbrella of things is like we think about like the patriarchy and we think about like all the patriarchy is taken from men mm-hmm. you yeah, know for as, real. and I'm like how are you guys not pissed about this like I'm pissed about this but like how are you not pissed about this because it's also stolen so much from you yeah um, it's so limiting just, yeah so limiting so harmful yeah uh, anyway, I get off on tangents. That sort of just <laughs> <laughs> happens as we talk about these things, which I think is just sort of speaks to like the richness and the vastness of the subject and why people can get so lost in it and why guides like the Everybody Book are so important. Um, so talking about cisgender kids in households where there doesn't appear to be a gender expansive kid, what kinds of conversations and play would you encourage for parents with their kids? So if we're talking about kids and play and expression, I like to encourage parents to start exploring messages early with lots of gentle and curious questions. So if your kids are playing house and someone is insisting that they can't be the mommy, why can't they? And who can be a mommy? Why do some people say he shouldn't play with that toy or wear that Elsa costume? Things that just... Mm -hmm offer alternatives and expansiveness in play. And as they cons- as they start consuming more media, there are deeper places to go. There are critical lenses to put on YouTube videos and on music and on shows. And did it look like they talked about consent in that scene? Did we see mm. how that person felt if she found out that people were talking about her that way behind her back at all? I think at the center of it all, if we... If we understand our kids to be cis at any moment, there's actually that extra responsibility to ask questions about how others might feel, those empathy-building reflections on our media yeah. and and our relational interactions in our lives, so that instead of 
a lens that says be kind to everyone because we're all the same on the inside, we can move towards that be kind to everyone and notice how their differences impact them in yeah. in various ways. Yeah. One of the things that came to mind as you said that is just this idea of like parents and parents being like our kids first and most important teachers, right? And Absolutely. we are in this incredible position to teach constantly and it's exhausting. So like, I'm not saying like <laughs> you're a bad parent if you're not constantly yeah. like, did you see what happened there in that scene? Like this happened and this, you know, but like, I think that it really just creates the culture of being able to talk about these things. Exactly. Right. And so then kids grow up knowing how to have hard conversations and what mm. a gift that is. Right. And there's a sex educator that's local here that I love, whose name is Al Vernecchio. And he always says that instead of one one million minute conversation with kids, you should be having closer to one million one minute conversations with kids about mm -hmm. sex and sexuality. And that's kind of what I think of. It's not that you have to be on all the time with your teaching brain. It's just noticing how much crap there is, how much um, negative messaging there is in the media that's missing so much. And we notice it, but we can have the opportunity to just like point out a, a critical thinking question and say, huh, what'd you notice about that scene? Or, you know, those empathy building questions of like, how would that other person have felt there that they don't always explore? And I, I think that those those can be, you know, rich, tiny opportunities to just kind of offer our kids the opportunity to question their own values and, and make sense of it all. Oh, 100%. And, you know, one of the there was a study that came out um, sounding like a really smart researcher right now. There was a study <laughs> that came out from this source that I don't remember. Um, but it was I remember reading, you know, one of the qualities that parents were really striving for to build in their kids or to encourage in their kids was empathy. Yeah, and yeah. how difficult it is. I mean, people in general are pretty bad at it. But it, Kids it, notoriously. I mean, it's a very self-serving. A hundred percent. Several years in a row. Yeah. And I just think about that concept that you said about from that educator, the million one minute conversations. And I was just reflecting about how like, yeah, I have conversations with my kids about consent and about bodies literally all the time. About everything. Yeah. Everything is a consent issue pretty much when you've got little kids. So <laughs> it's just like constant. And I think every now and then I'm like, how many times do I have to go through this? And then I remember like, oh, they live in a world that tells them that they don't have the right to say yes or no about those things or about like they just have to do what they're told and they have to share and they have to do this and they have to, have to, have to. And so it's a constant like counteracting those messages as well. So knowing, I think it's important for parents to remember that even if you're not talking about it, they're getting taught. That silence is is a choice as well. You know, not having those conversations is a choice as well, because of course, it's exhausting. I mean, there's so much to refute. There's so much to just totally disentangle and distance from. But that's why we do it. We want to be able to say, you know, we did our best to raise really empathetic and thoughtful and, you know, just people that can check in with themselves and check in with other people. Yeah. The check in with themselves, I'm like all about. <laughs> oh, yeah. Gosh. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And that's what those conversations do. Because it's so easy to consume, consume, consume and not think about you know, what 
you're learning from that. But I think when a parent gets to pause those moments and say, we don't have to let that one go, we can think about that, we can, you know, we can slow this all down, Mm -hmm. then the hope is that in real life scenarios, when things are moving super fast, you, you have the option to say, Oh, actually, I can slow down and think, what do I need out of this? What am I not liking about this? How is this other person feeling? And, And do we feel safe enough to communicate about it? Just imagining like all these kiddos having those abilities and those skills. And I'm like, I might not have a job. <laughs> <laughs> right? And as therapists, don't we always say we're trying to work trying to so work that way we out. Mm-hmm. work our way out of a job? Mm-hmm. It'd be great. It'd be great if I didn't have a job <laughs> or I had to just do something else, I guess. Totally. Yeah. Um, I know that one of the things I hear from parents um, often is that there's this concern that talking about gender expansiveness or talking about variance in gender is going to plant the idea in their kid's head and then their <laughs> kid's going to become m- like magically trans um, because they talked about it one time or two times. Um, can you just speak to like your experience with that? <laughs> Absolutely. Um, yes, that, that, that worry about planting transness into a kid's minds. Um, no, no, you, you will not be, offering a, a planted gender identity, although now I'm imagining something like really beautiful and green and growing. But <laughs> apart from that happy visual, um, the other happy visual is that by talking about gender, you'll instead be offering safety of exploration, of interests and expression in play, and in developing confidence to think about and then be who they are. So Remembering that depending on age, that kids absolutely play, explore, model, repeat things, and gender play is a very normal and wonderful thing to encourage and not tamp down on because it creates shame. Mm -hmm. But of course, some kids explore gender and find who they are pretty quickly, and other people have gender journeys that can last a lifetime, but you can't make anyone trans any more than you can make someone not be trans. Best case, you can plant the idea in a kid's head that social constructs should be questioned and explored and that you can have time to play and wonder about yourself and figure out how you like to express yourself, too. Yeah. Yeah. That there's just more than one way to to be. Absolutely. And if anything, you're planting... You know, you're planting seeds of freedom. You're planting seeds of, of pushing back on on really limited expression of gender you you don't want your children i would hope you don't want your children to grow up with a really limited scope of what they're allowed to like what they're allowed to be interested in what they're allowed to say that they like and be interested in and i think that's where you have um just this wonderful generation of kids coming up right now that are totally blowing it all up and saying, yeah, I can wear whatever I want. And I'm going to come up with literally new words. If there are no words that describe my experience or my identity, I'll teach you one. And that I think is just a that's the magic of it. It's, you know, it's not magical planting ideas of transness. It's magical planting ideas of freedom. Yeah, I love that idea, that concept of, um, of being free, and how much that aligns with who we are as a country, as opposed to like how we treat the subject. Um, it just feels a little backwards. Um, there's a, 
a man in my community. Um, his name is Stephen Herndon, and he uh, works at Children's Home Society, and he um, runs a support group for queer and trans youth, and um, he calls this generation the genderation. Um, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> he's like, oh, they're, they're part of the generation. It's good. Uh, so it's really, it's really fun. Um, and we just are really so excited about seeing kids really allow themselves to be who they are and not put themselves into boxes, you know? Definitely. Oh. Yeah. So, so as we think about like all these kids and their freedom, as parents start to experience their kids embracing that freedom, what do gender expansive kids need from their parents that maybe cisgender kids looks different than if they were parenting a kid that was like very clearly I'm cisgender? There are a whole lot of things that are really going to benefit all kids, but I'm thinking about some of the things that might be specifically wonderful in context of providing for gender expansive youth. So first, support. Stats on everything from homelessness to poverty to substance use and suicidality show us that familial support is the biggest protective factor we have in Mm -hmm a great and bright future for our kids. So support in general. Yeah. Um, Specifics under the heading of support, I would say freedom, again, time and space along the journey, because there's no one way to be trans. There's no one way to be cis. There's no one way to transition. And again, even the most progressive and radical of parents can, can benefit from just taking time and allowing for space because there's no, just like there's no one way to transition. There's no one pace either. And something you mentioned before about extended family and leading with joy, I think requiring boundaries and safety with extended family can be a huge support because you might kind of see a cis kid roll their eyes about hanging out with grandma. But if you see a trans kid in distress because grandma won't use their pronouns or can't like say the right name, then you're talking about a different level of boundaries, a different level of support that you might need to, you know, take the opportunity to, to have more conversations about that. Healthcare providers, access to really um, competent, safe healthcare, and just advocacy, trying to make sure that the spaces that your kids occupy are as safe as they can be. Representation, everything in your house, whether your kids are gender expansive or not, should be just overflowing with all of the wonderful representations of all the wonderful ways for people to be. Yeah, um, There should be more protagonists that don't look like your kid in your library so that they can just learn about all the people and all the wonderful ways to be that aren't just like them. Um, community online is a wonderful place. If you live in a, in an area where there really aren't other families that look like yours, there are support groups, there are places to meet online. There are other kids that your kids can make friends with. I want to shout out camp Aeronutic because oh, yeah. <laughs> just places like that are, just places that my clients look forward to being there all year. And I guess the last thing I would mention too on this long, long list is optimism. When you have 
a gender expansive journey that your kid is going on and, and, or you have a trans or non-binary kid, it makes sense that there's some fear, but I think making decisions based around love versus fear and joy versus fear, I think our kids really deserve the optimism of, um, you know, kind of whatever's the opposite of, oh, no, what if their life is hard or like this is going to be so, um, so much or so hard, like those are valid things. But I think our kids deserve optimism that we can like go into this and be so grateful and so excited for our kid that they get to be authentically themselves in our families and that they get that they felt safe to talk to you at all, that you're doing something so right that they feel so comfy to just explore and to talk to you and to take their space and time and know that they'll have your support, I think is a really, um, it can be a really exciting thing to, to have your excitement about yourself be mirrored by your caregivers. Oh, yeah, 100%. And as I think about that, I know so many times parents do get stuck in this like fear trap, right? Like anxiety is such a lifestyle sometimes that it can be so hard to see beyond, oh my God, their life is going to be so hard now. And I think that that optimism piece and knowing as a parent, like I have a role to play in that story. Like I'm not powerless to like their life is going to be hard. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can be a huge source of that not being true. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. And I just want to like note for parents, like as I say that, I also recognize how difficult it is to let go of those anxieties. <laughs> oh, for sure. Um, for and sure. to be able to show up for your kid in that space and um, how sometimes that might mean that you've got your own work to do. Um, yeah, yeah. And I encourage that all the time. I really, really want parents to be able to lean on their own support systems. I want parents to have their own therapists. I want I want them to have outlets. I just don't want that outlet to be their kid. Yeah. Um, I don't want any parent to feel like they have to stifle or shut down some really valid emotions that they're going through um, because they absolutely, you know, when they have that work to do, it's better to do that. And it's it's easier to, you know, show up for your kids sometimes than it is for yourself. So I, th- I would encourage all the parents to definitely, definitely build those buffer those supports and really like get yourself into some safe spaces too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Rachel, is there anything else that we want to share with our Camp Wild Heart community? I would just say if you haven't stumbled upon the Everybody book yet, that I I love to say search for it on bookshop.org so you can get get it from a local place. It is also available on Amazon. And hopefully in your local library. I mean, this is something that I hope makes its way to the school systems across the country, because if if we're not getting it at home, if it doesn't cause a huge fuss in a school library, (laughs) then we're not doing something right. So hopefully you will find it helpful in some way. And I really hope to be able to offer some more resources in the future. Yeah. I look forward to seeing whatever you create um, because this is a fantastic jumping off point for at least from where I'm sitting. So I'm looking well, forward to you. it. Thank you so much. I love being able to meet everybody in every place that is bringing such such needed such support. Needed. Such mm-hmm. needed support. 
Yeah. Well, it's an honor. It's my favorite work that I've ever done. So thanks again, Rachel. We'll put all the links up on the show notes. And so if anybody has any questions, they'll be able to reach out via the Camp Wildheart website, as well as the Camp Wildheart email or the Facebook group or anything like that. And if they have questions, are you comfortable with me like relaying things to you and be like, hey, we asked Rachel and this is what she said? Absolutely. Yeah. Whatever contact info you might need, I'm happy to hear from folks. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Rachel. I really appreciate it. You're so welcome. I hope you leave today feeling like you have another tool in your toolbox and are a little more confident on how to approach talking about gender and bodies with your young kids and maybe even the adults in your life. Camp Wildheart and our community of listeners are here to support you through this journey. So if there's anything we can do to support you in supporting your kid, please let us know. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram as Wild Heart Society. You can send us an email at camp at wildheartsociety.org. We also have a private Facebook group for parents to connect with each other and ask questions of us called Camp Wildheart Community. Join us today. Thanks again to Rachel for all the work she's doing to support transgender and gender expansive kids. I'm so glad she's in the field and doing this work. We have a link to where you can buy the book in the show notes. If you're not in a big hurry, consider supporting independent booksellers for your purchase. Thanks again for joining us for camp. Be sure to subscribe for free to the podcast so you don't miss future campfires and give us a rating. Rating the podcast helps other people find us and we want to make sure that anyone who needs one knows there's a bunk for them at Camp Wildheart. 